Benvenuto a Superhouse. Welcome to another episode of Superhouse, everybody. This time it's just going to be a solo interview with me and Eric B. Eric B. is a longtime friend of Matty Fitz G. from the Superhouse podcast, and he's been traveling all over the world, mainly in Europe, and we sit down to talk about his life in London and in Spain and traveling on a visa and general digital nomadism. So without further ado, let's take it away. All right, everybody. It's been 10 years, but I have Eric B. in the house. Yo, yo. So the story behind this is Eric B. is Superhouse member Maddie's friend from high school? Yeah. Or before that? Before that, technically, yeah. Really middle school or when? Yeah, middle school. Um, And Maddie met, I mean, yeah, Maddie introduces Eric B. during Superhouse. You would, like, live with us for a little while? Yeah, I lived in the uh, the laundry room for, for one summer. I forgot about yeah. that. laundry room. In the laundry room, yeah. What you, what what'd you think about all of that? I mean, the alternative was spending the summer in Kentucky, and uh-huh. I was more than happy to just throw a mattress down um, and chill out, because, yeah, I worked at... Oh God! I worked at Paula Dean's restaurant. Oh God! Too. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Got a job as a busboy down there that summer. That was fun as fuck. So that's how you paid rent. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. I haven't thought about that detail in ten years. Probably. I probably hadn't either, actually. <laughs> um, and like after that, you have been living in Europe. Pretty much constantly since you graduated college yourself? Mm, not constantly. I came back. Um, let's see, I went back to the States a few times, mostly because I had visa issues that ran out and I would have to come back. Uh, no, you don't want to take that back. After college, I spent two years in Chicago. Two, oh, yeah, two years. And Johnson was there at that time. Yeah, Johnson moved up to Chicago right around the same time we did. And then one day, he just wasn't around, and then nobody knew where he was. And then he popped his head back up in South Korea. And it was just like, oh, okay, well, the that's elusive normal. Johnson, yeah. <laughs> um, and like one of the things that I've been trying to make Superhouse different, uh, as far as a podcast is concerned, is that I want to make like travel a big part of it. Yeah, like there's a lot of podcasts of like four dudes or so sitting around talking about video games and and okay. movies, but. We've brought on a dude from, that lived in Mongolia for a year. I lived in Japan. I tried to bring that to the table. And I, there's, we did a segment on me in Tokyo showing you around. And there's one in Italy coming up soon. Anyway, you're also a guy from the South. You're from Kentucky. And you've moved around Europe a lot. And like Johnson, you're what they call a digital nomad. We've talked about this in the show before. Where can you explain what digital nomad is? Yeah, sure. We are untethered by geography. <laughs> our our work and our lives let us be wherever we choose to be. Where we, I guess, wherever we legally can be at any given moment, and try to make the most of that particular freedom. And so, to add to what you're saying, there basically. The, uh, you remote into your job or you submit work via the internet. So you have to be where there's internet, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. That's All usually the what the digital nomad life is about. But either you're, you're hopping visas every three months because the tourist visa runs out, which you've told me that you're doing. Yeah. And uh, do, you, do you have any like stories about that? Like... You know, like they, they got used to me at the uh, at the crossing guard or whatever the border or like you've never been like sus- like suspe- suspected of anything. It's oh. kind of early in the morning, I can't talk. No, no, it's all good. So, um, let's see. I lived in Latvia one time for about two years as an illegal immigrant. <laughs> two years. About two years. I overstayed that. Vi- well, I overstayed that visa by about eighteen months. Um, 
And so Europe has what's called the Schengen Zone. And so the vast majority of the European country shares um, a border regime so that most of Europe is accessible to Americans on a three-month visa. The exceptions are the Balkan countries and the UK and Ireland. So if you land in France on January 1st and then you travel around, you make it to the Czech Republic, you make it to Greece, all that stuff is still within that same three-month zone. So you've got to be uh, out of there before um, before 90 days are up. So let's say you've got to be out of there by April 1st or something like uh, that. Um, so I landed in Latvia, uh, God, 2010, whatever this year was. Um, stayed in Latvia, never left the Schengen zone. Um, and then we ultimately, because I was living with a girlfriend at the time, and then we made it to Brussels and we lived there for about eight or nine months. And then finally I was like, we, we just... This was a looming problem that we knew we were going to have. And I was like, okay, so listen, I'm going to fly out of Brussels back to the U.S. The rules stipulate that if you're in for three months, you've got to be out for three months. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to be out for three months. I'm going to reset this visa. Uh -huh. And I'm going to leave through a country where they're not going to be particularly interested in the fact that I've overstayed. And hopefully okay. just talk my way across the border, essentially. Are you serious? Yeah. You just, you just negotiate. Uh, well, that was the plan because um, otherwise, like the, the the downside of that is if you get caught and they want to make your life troublesome, they put a big X on your passport. I don't know whether it's a physical one or just the theoretical X on your passport. You're not allowed into Europe again for the next 10 years. And it becomes a real hassle just to get a visa to any other country because you're, you're identified, you're marked in the system as an overstayer. So I was in Brussels. And typically, if you overstay your visa, you want to leave out of either Italy or Spain. Really? Or Greece. Yeah, those are the places where people are most lax about it. Dude, just to add to that, yeah, I just went through Italy myself. Yeah. And the dude, when, I, when we walked in from, it was a flight from England to Italy. Yeah. We go through customs or whatever, the guy's stamping your passport, mm -hmm. texting while like stamping passports, yep. dude. Yep. Didn't he opened up, glanced for like a half second, and then saw my page was empty, stamped, returned to his next text. Yeah. Like I don't even he didn't even give it a full look. It was like half a glance. Doesn't give half a fuck in Italy. Yeah. It was it was crazy coming from America and England. Yeah. Where it's on fucking lockdown. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's a good tip. So if you're going to, you know, stay in Europe for too long, go in and out of Italy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I picked Iceland as my country to exit from because I was like, ah, who the fuck goes to Iceland in the first place? So, yeah, exited, took a flight from Brussels to Reykjavik to D.C. Got on this flight from Brussels to Reykjavik, and it was a, it was a 747. And I felt like there were about eight people on that whole ass flight. This is old plane. They're like ashtrays in the seat and like the armrests and stuff like that. Like Damn, this dude. thing was built in the '60s anyway. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm gonna get to the border, and there's not even gonna be any border guards. Turns out we get there, and we're the only flight that landed that hour. And there was a whole bunch of border guards with nothing else to do other than check the passports. And these oh, eight shit. assholes who were on this flight. I get there, and the border guards like 23. And um, I'm just eyeballing his age, 23 years yeah, old or so. Yeah. He's a young guy. Yeah. Looks at my passport. And, um, you know, I, I, I churched myself up a little bit to look a little bit more presentable for this particular flight in case negotiations had to happen. Pulls out my passport and starts thumbing through it. And he goes, so when did you enter the Schengen Zone? When, when did you arrive in Europe? And I was like, about two years ago. <laughs> so he, he gives me the finger wag. He motions me. He's like, all right, come with me. Come with me. I go into the back room, and there's just like this little waiting area. It's like a seat, like three seats, a door, and then presumably the manager's office or something. And he takes my passport and walks in there. And he's gone for about like five minutes or something. I'm nervous. I'm just like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, you know? And he comes back, and he just goes, so my manager wants to know what you were doing in Europe. Uh-huh. And I guess I hadn't quite made up. I hadn't quite figured out what I was going to say here. Um, you didn't I, think you'd get that far. I didn't think it was going to get this far. So yeah. kind of just in the nervousness, I made up a story about how um, I'd had like a fiance. We were set to get married. She cheated on me. 
Um, and so just in my, in my anguish, in my anger, I ended up, um, going on a savage bender for about, well, we'll call it 15 months or something like that to just make up that timeline there. And, uh, he was like, really? I was like, yeah, friends in Amsterdam, doing all these drugs and trying to sound just as salty as I possibly could. And he, he goes, like, you're cool, bro. I, no, he just, it didn't register. There's just, you know, no emotions, no nothing like that. Okay. He goes, okay, okay, okay. He goes back and he talks to his manager a little bit more. He comes out about 30 seconds later. He's like, so do you plan to return to Europe? And I was like, fuck no. And he was like, okay, fine, just don't come back. And he gives me a normal passport stamp and sends me on my way. Really? Yeah. Fuck, man. It, it, it sucks, you know, because, like, we're both travelers, you more so than me, but, like... I, I hate that shit. I know there's like more uh, like a terrorism problem more than ever, yeah. but it's just like there's that there's that part of me that's just like can't we all just get along? Just let let let's just like let people like pass through. Let's see the countries. Let's not like have all these fucking restrictions. Like even like the ninety days thing sometimes seems like a bit harsh. But then again, I'm I'm a white dude from America, so right. maybe I have, looking through that lens. But it's just like. You know, there's those. This I'm going on a tangent, but like, there's those pictures about like I don't see any borders when it's a picture of the Earth. It's like, kind of wish we'd be more like that, but everybody's just so fucking guarded throughout the whole fucking world. Yeah. Well, I mean, here too, you've got the populist idea that people are coming over to leech off of the the rich social security systems in northern countries and stuff uh -huh. like that, which you know, to some degree, there's some truth in. I don't know exactly how true that is, but. Um, so yeah, it's not to keep necessarily our asses out. It's to keep out somebody from Somalia or something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to control that flow of and immigration. And to not seem extremely racist, you, you, you say, you gotta like throw a wide net, basically. It's like well, yeah, over yeah, yeah. every, every foreigner, American, yeah. French, Somali, whatever. Yeah, because it doesn't matter but where most you're important from. Somali. That really no, no, they're... it doesn't matter where you're from. Like, if you're going to be a moocher of a human being, like, you know. No, I don't. I don't even want to call it a moocher. That's that's still a little bit too politically charged language. But yeah, just <laughs> just to control the inflow of anybody who would come in and do anything to put a particular strain on your government or on your system. Okay. Um, that's what that's for. The problem is for a very select few of us. Um, it does. It doesn't even make sense, right? Because when I out, I've been in Europe for the last year, but I don't. I don't use any healthcare like benefits. Yeah. If I'm like I'm gonna go to the dentist later today, um, I'm just gonna pay for that in cash. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not a particular strain on anybody's thing, but at the same time, this lifestyle of bouncing around from place to place makes you a little bit illegible from a government perspective. Yeah. And you're People not paying taxes anywhere, right? Uh. Or do you want to even get into that? Yeah. No, I don't mind. I don't okay. mind. Um, we we can come back to that if you want. <laughs> Um, I'm just worried about your legal situation because I mean, well, for me it's not a problem as okay. long as as long as you're out of the United States because as Americans we have to pay taxes to the U.S. Yeah. like no matter what, no yeah. matter where we are, how long we've been away. Yeah, if you've got this passport, you owe Uncle Sam money. Uh huh. Um, but there's a there's a thing called the physical presence test where if you're outside of the United States for 330 days, then you can qualify and not have to pay income taxes to the United States and potentially to the state. It probably changes state by state. Yeah. But I think the physical press physical presence test excludes me from paying taxes to either Kentucky where I'm registered, I use my parents' home address for uh -huh. like all that all that stuff. Yeah. And I don't have to pay federal taxes outside of social security, which is fifteen point three percent of the income. Okay. So that makes my effective tax rate fifteen point three percent. Okay. All right. Have you so you've been all over? Like, what's been your favorite country so far? Mm. There's that. That's impossible. I don't know. There's a lot of places I like for various reasons. Um, if I were going to pick a place to spend a lot of time, to potentially live, Spain's really high on the radar. Everybody says that. Man. Did you go? Have you been? I've never been. You but should like, go. It's surprising because if if my friends weren't saying that, yeah, I wouldn't think that because I. I, I'm like just not a Spainophile or whatever. I, and like Rome, you know, I went to Rome because they're famous for the Colosseum and the Vatican and all this and that and this. 
I can't name a single sightseeing spot off the top of my head from Spain, but I have like nearly 90% of my friends telling me that Spain is the shit. Yeah. Why why is that? Well, it's not a sightseeing thing so much. It's it's a pace and quality of life that's so accessible to everybody. Like say you're a young person in Madrid. If you have a job, if you're lucky enough to have a job, say you're like 28 or something, uh, if you're part of the 50% of the people in your age group who even have a job, like you're making about a thousand euros a month, mm-hmm. which is going to be what one thousand sixty dollars or something like that. Yeah, like, it's not, not a lot. lot of money. Yeah. Um, consequently, the cost of living there ends up being fairly low. Okay. Um, and it's accessible. It's I, w- I was talking about this with somebody the other day on Facebook because the, the like you can have a good life in the United States, but you have to be of an upper middle class income to afford it. Yeah, man, that's a, that's the main issue. Johnson would love to chime in on this issue right now. No, he that's, and that, that's one of the main this. issues yeah. with America. No one hardly anybody talks about it. We're too busy talking about which bathroom to fucking use and you know, all that kind of shit. Yeah. Like it's. Or whatever Trump tweeted that fucking day now. Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's a whole other deal. Yeah. Um, go on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that's it. That's it. Like, you can have a good night out if you live in a Barcelona, in a Valencia, in a Madrid, in any of those cities um, for like 20 bucks. Okay. You, you go and maybe you have a couple of beers. Spanish people don't drink so hard anyway. Oh, but really? the night goes on for ages. You know, oh, you, go, yeah. you go out for dinner in Barcelona. On a Friday night, like dinner service starts at about eleven p.m. Like <laughs> yeah, families bring yeah, their young yeah, kids yeah, in at yeah. eleven o'clock, and they sit down. And there's a three course meal, and you know it, it's not a big three course meal. Yeah, some olives come out, then a little plate of something comes out, and then a salad comes out. The whole time you're like drinking a cheap bottle of wine, right. like you're in a restaurant, and you're just in like a little cafe, and it's like five seven euros for that bottle of wine, and you're sharing it with you and your family. And the meal just lasts for like two hours. You're chilling. You're hanging out. Now, families, they go back home at one o'clock. Um, if you're a younger person, if you or if you're just somebody who wants to go out and have a good time, you go to a local bodega. You get a bottle of cheap whatever. You and your friends sit just out in the park. Like you sit beside a nice fountain. You share that bottle with each other. You just chill out. And again, your night so far has cost you about 10 euros. Then you right. go into a, a club or a late night place, do whatever you're going to do there. Then it's very easy to not come home till 4 or 5 a.m. And you still have it. It's not been a big production. It's not a big, been a big thing. There's very democratized access to a, just a good quality of life. Right. Yeah. Train pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, like, you know, we're from the South, like, we didn't really know what train life was like until we moved train pretty, life. pretty far away, right? Yeah. Well, you had Chicago sort of close, maybe, but like Atlanta didn't have one. I didn't really know what it was like until I went to Japan, to be honest with you. Yeah. I could have gone closer, but in my experience, that was my first train experience, That's actually. Right. Yeah. And that shit changes everything, man. Yeah. Like, A, you walk more, you get a little bit more in shape, kind of. You do. But also, you, you feel, even though you're kind of boxed in by a city, you still feel more free in a sense because you're just able to to walk around everywhere more, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a weird kind of a, um, what do you call it? I can't think of the word. Uh, um, par- not paradox. Anyway, oxymoron or something. It's too early for me to think of words, but uh, so well, it's almost an irony, right? Like yeah, yeah. you think of cars as a door to door means of transportation that yeah. lets you go when wherever whenever you want. To. Yeah. But at the same time, you're confined when you're when you're in the U.S. When you're in a small place in Kentucky, or when you're in a small town in Georgia, or something like that, you're right. confined as that as your means of transportation. Like if you're in the suburbs of Atlanta or something yeah. like that, you can't even walk the places because there might not even be sidewalks. Yeah, yeah, there there might not be sidewalks, or it or could be got, dangerous in a couple areas, or like, it takes you two miles to get to wherever you're going to go to, and right. you're just walking along like a grassy curb or something to get right, there. You're right, dodging right, cars right, and shit right. like that. The city infrastructure. It's just not built for anything other than vehicular travel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so I the, think there's some there's some cha- there's some like effort to change that in Atlanta specifically. Oh. Um, I think there isn't a lot of cities these days, but. It's it's just like building a train is, is something that takes a shitload of a long time. Yeah. Like it'd take like four years to build one track. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So these cities like New York and San Francisco, Tokyo, everywhere in Europe, they just got the upper hand, dude, on that shit because they've been doing it for 100 years longer. Literally. Yeah, and they've got a cool infrastructure in place now when in 10 years when we've got hyperloops that are connecting regional cities. Yeah. And then yeah. there's going to be a cool hub and spoke system where you've got your hyperloop and it connects, you know, say Berlin and Vienna. Uh-huh. And then you've got your regional trains that get you to the little cities outside of that. Yeah. And so if you're going from a suburb of Berlin to a suburb of Vienna, I mean, you've got your little regional train that takes you 15 minutes in, yeah. 30 minutes on that hyperloop, and then 15 more minutes on that next right. regional train. Door to door in an hour. This is Elon Musk shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's other shit we should talk about more often in America. That just our priorities are fucked up. Well, it's going to be different now. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get down this futuristic rabbit hole, but America's in a pretty cool situation because the vehicular infrastructure is so strong that when self-driving cars hit the road, yeah, it's going to give a lot of people a lot of freedom because now, like, say you're poor and you live in a city that, yeah. where you rely on buses, you know... If you have the ability to pay, you know, $3 or whatever it costs for a robot to drive you from point A to point B, yeah. all of a sudden it's much easier for you to get around. You can get to your jobs. You don't have to rely on some long-ass, like, bus ride where you have to make three connections just to get a to your, little private like, train type of deal. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to change things for a lot of people, and that's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's the shit that makes it feel like we're getting to the Jetsons level. Like, I feel like we didn't get flying cars, but we did get self-driving cars that would be so cool too so in all your travels have you like uh i jump around a lot sorry about that yeah good in all your travels have you were you ever like interested in language as well because that was a big part for me and i actually started to learn french a little bit too Mm -hmm. for some reason i always like japanese and french but i got to this point where i was like if i keep studying french it's going to get in the way of my Japanese study, and that takes so long. Yeah. So I put French on hold for a bit Yeah. and kept with the Japanese. It was probably a good decision, ultimately. Did you ever learn anything yourself? No, I've got dirty high school Spanish. <laughs> okay. Um, I was in Latvia, and I picked up, like, pleasantries and stuff like that. No, I've never, um, I've, I guess, truthfully... I've just relied on the fact that everybody speaks English wherever I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it disincentivizes me from learning the language unless yeah. I just want to do it. Yeah. But I'm a lazy person, so yeah, that ends up being no. But, okay, so I've noticed <laughs> something. Tell me how wrong I am, or whether I'm wrong or right about this, because you just spent two weeks in Italy. Uh-huh. Do the intonations there remind you of the Japanese language at all? Um, so... Like the that's, rhythm of that language. That's a good question. It's not the rhythm. I think is different, but with the Romance languages in particular, the vowels are the same pretty mm-hmm. much. In Japanese, every vowel ever of all time is a i u a o, and there's no a or e or mm-hmm. or anything like that. So or uh, so uh, I think that's what the main thing they have in common. Like with Spanish. When Japanese people learn Spanish, they're always said, "Well, it's easier than English because uh, the pronunciation is exactly the same." That's the part they get wrong. It's not exactly the same, of course, but it's more similar than it is to English. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't have a word like three in a Spanish language where your tongue has to do like four things yes. just to get one yes, sound. Yes. 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 But as far as rhythm is concerned, I don't think so because I mean, there's like like bella, you know, bellissimo. Like there's mm-hmm. a, it's very sing songy where whereas Japanese is not at all it's a very flat language okay cool cool I've heard people speak Italian I've heard speak people speak Japanese and I know neither of those languages but both of them sound like really good languages to be angry in well I mean if you've watched anime you've seen like you've probably heard angry Japanese yeah and to me I always thought angry Japanese sounded pretty cool, and when I when I lived in Japan, I you know I, of course I don't see that much when I'm on vacation. But when I lived in Japan and I worked in Japan, I was able to hear it. And mm-hmm. it when they do get angry, it is very similar to that in the anime. Like, okay, it's like it's like they pull out a katana and they're just slicing the person <laughs> like like. And I don't know. It's 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 interesting. Yeah. All right. Definitely. All right. Japanese is is essentially a, a language isolate. There might be similarities to Korean. I think there are. It seems like there are because the grammar is almost the same. But linguists 
keep saying that it's it's not related to anything. There's not enough evidence for it. Well, Okinawan is is technically another dialect, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're most definitely related. But yeah, Japanese is just not related to anything. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. There there is one theory though. This is another tangent, but that it's related to ancient Turkish. Yeah. There's something called the Altaic language theory. Yeah. We talked about this before, actually, but uh, on the podcast. But uh, in ancient Turkey was close to Mongolia, and the ancient Japanese are from, are more than likely stem predominantly from Mongolia, the Mongolian region, and not necessarily from China. Although there is some China, there's some Southeast Asian in, in Japan. The Japanese like to think that they're purebred, you know, we're fully Japanese, but of course it's not the case. They, sure. mi- they migrated there. Yeah. The only people that were there longer than them were these people called the Ainu. The ones up in Hokkaido? Yeah. Okay. And they're kind of what they call Caucasoid. Yeah. They're, they look kind of like half Asian, half white. Mm-hmm. And uh, they even have like chest on, their hair on their chest and everything like that. Like it's, like most Asians don't have that. Right. So... Uh, but that shit's real interesting. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, though, because so many people... Because, like, Turkish people, like, that ethnicity didn't come from Asia Minor and where Turkish people live now. They're right. all from Genghis Khan territory. Right, right, right. And right, they were right. just... Yeah, for thousands of years, they were just horse warlords running around on that flat part of Asia just <laughs> yeah. fucking shit up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, those people moved all over the place. Exactly, man. Um... So you've been in England for how long now? Uh, since October. So what is it? Going on two months. And where are you going to next? I've got a flight back to the U.S. in February. Going to go back to Kentucky and see some family for about three weeks. And then I'll take a return flight. I'll probably head to Spain. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to try to get a residence permit there. You're going to make the full-on move. Yeah, I'm going to try to. Well, not a full-on move, but it'll be possible to have... Like an apartment there, and say yeah. get it in a fairly popular city, either rent one or buy one, and then if I buy one, what's going to be cool is that you can Airbnb that thing out when yeah. you're not there. Yeah. And if it's a tourist city, then it'll be no problem to get that filled. Okay. So shit, man, you're really going to do it. You're going we'll to be going to be a property owner in we'll Spain. See. We'll see. We'll see. This is the idea. I haven't like done the math. I haven't looked into the logistics of it. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to be like. Like you get to a Spanish apartment and you start looking around and it's some busted ass thing with asbestos hanging off the ceiling and pipes that are just spraying water all no, hours of the night. Not all of them though. I no, would assume. No, no, no. I know, but you know, I don't know how to buy property. But yeah. uh, you know, it'll be a long-term project for 2017. But um, Spain's a cool country because they have um, a residence permit that's actually designed for people who are on a pension. Okay. And so if you prove that you have X amount of money coming in yeah. every month, yeah, uh, and then you don't plan to take a job while you're there, and by that I mean like have employment in Spain from a Spanish employer, then it's pretty easy to get a residence permit. You have to go back to the States. You have to do some applications. You have to get like an FBI paper that says, you know, you're not a criminal. You have to get some medical tests to prove you don't have, like, cholera or some shit yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. AIDS. Um, yeah. I've heard, like, uh, in Korea, like, if you if you contract it or you have it, or if you contract it while you're there, they will, they'll deport you immediately. Really? Yeah. Like, Damn. there's, there's like, specific, like, AIDS laws never. or regulations or whatever. I've never heard that. But... Yeah. yeah. South Korea is, like, I mean, look, it sucks, but it's, like... I could see why a country would want to keep that out at the same time. If there was a way to legislate a virus out of your community, yeah, then yeah, yeah. I understand. Quarantine, the, yeah, yeah. So okay. you you Trump shit before Trump, yeah. Did you see that site? No, I didn't. There, like the day after election, dude. There was yeah. a site called TrumpingShip.com, and it was like site uh, countries that. Are easy on uh, immigration nice. for Americans. Nice. So, dude, America's been nuts, by the way. I know. You've been seeing on the internet, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I try not to talk. Like when I call home and when I talk to friends and stuff, I don't want to even talk about it anymore. It's got, like, dude. It's worse, man. Because like, with with Bush and McCain, Palin, and all that, that was a certain kind of Republican. But mm-hmm. it was, except for Palin, it was kind of understandable. You know, like that's the party. Cool. 
Trump is like some fucking weird nightmare monster of a human being that won the the presidency. Like, it, it it's 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 nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I don't know what Obama did to piss them off. They hate healthcare that bad that they want Trump in office. Like, what what happened? I don't know. We I'm okay with going to this tangent. Like, you you call you you call yourself basically kind of a liberal. Like, you would vote the Democrat if you were in America or. I don't yeah, know. I probably would have voted Bernie Sanders, for example. Bernie Sanders, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I probably would have gone like quasi-socialist yeah. with my vote this year. Um, it, it's interesting, too, that you said that Donald Trump essentially normalized the war crimes of the George W. Bush administration. <laughs> like, that makes that much more palatable now. Um yeah, <laughs> sorry, I don't know how much how political we needed to get there, but um, yeah, I like I'm from Kentucky. Yeah, my Facebook news feed skews about fifty percent pro Trump before I started pruning that thing. Uh huh. So yeah. Family, yeah. blah blah blah, yeah. talking about how he's the only one who can speak truth to power. He's the only one who can, you know, drain the swamp, etc. Um, and. In many ways, I sympathize with the fact that they just feel disenfranchised within their own country for some reason right, or another. Right. Um, and it's not like, like it's easy to paint this as race, racist posturing, or you know, um, people who are just afraid of immigrants and stuff like that. But I think it more comes back to the fact that for the last thirty, forty years in the United States, like people have economically just become worse. And when you do that, you need some sort of target for your anger. You're going to feel frustration on a day-to-day -day basis. Your job sucks more and more. The availability of benefits to you become fewer and fewer. And you get nervous. And I think for a lot of people, that nervousness can very easily be directed into anger at basically straw men. So whether yeah, that's yeah, yeah. an inflow of Mexicans, whether that's, uh, you know, in the 1930s, the vast... Jewish conspiracy to take over the Catholic Church and then institute <laughs> Sovietism and then whatever other. It's the first I've heard of that one, but it sounds legit. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the that's part of like the Soviet doctrine and the uh, no, I'm sorry, not the Soviet doctrine, the the Nazi doctrine, that the Jewish super empire was also colluding with the Catholic Church to take over and do something that ultimately undermined Jew, uh, German greatness. That's, okay. the, that's the whole okay. thing. Okay. That was Hitler's pit. That was Hitler's yeah, pitch. Yeah, yeah. He was going to make Germany great again. Yeah, and we got a Muslim registration about to be made, apparently. So, I mean, like I posted about this, like people are getting tired of like whenever you hate somebody, they're they're automatically Hitler. But this guy is doing Hitler type shit, like literally, and he and he wants to take away freedom of speech, or he's he's made some comments about libel laws and all that. This is not looking good, man. Like, if personally, like, if things get real bad, I don't know what I'll do, man. I mean, I was another. I've lived in another country before, mm -hmm. and like, look, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, but I'm saying, like, I've chosen to live in America again and before in my life. Like, I, I, when I first moved to Japan, I thought I was going to be a lifer. I told my friend Mike. Mm -hmm. We were both taking, um, we were both hanging out after like teaching in classes that day or whatever at a bar in Japan, probably in, that was 2006, late 2006. Yeah. And he was like, how long do you want to live here? And I said, I think I'm a lifer. And then after some time, I was like, uh, after three years exactly, I was like, I, you know what? I'm not a lifer. I'm going to go back. I, I actually like America. Okay. Like I'm one of the few Americans I've chosen America again. Okay. I re-upped. And then six years later, this happened. And it's just, look, I don't have any plans to move right now, but it's just awful. It's just, I think Trump is the worst. Yeah. Uh, and one of the funny things is, you mentioned, you know, libel laws and some of, some of these things that he's trying to do. I think this motherfucker doesn't even understand the law. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's wolf. He, he's just ignorantly burning bridges because he doesn't even know that they exist. Because, like, imagine, like, you're, you're a commercial property developer who inherited a lot of money, 
which means that you can just have a lawyer on your payroll and you call this lawyer up from time to time and be like, hey, am I allowed to do this? You don't have to know the law. You outsource your knowledge of legal consequences to somebody else whom you pay to tell you, oh, you actually probably shouldn't do this, blah, blah, right, blah, blah, blah. Right. So as a result, his relationship with law in general is about the same relationship as the Dukes of Hazard have with speed limits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wants to break all of them. He, and he's he'll just, brag he doesn't about even it. know what they are. He yeah. doesn't care. Meanwhile, we had a president that, you know, all the reports are saying right now that he uh, brought us out of recession. You know what I mean? And no one wants to bring that up. But isn't that the case? Isn't that as far as your research is? Yeah, I, I have no idea how much uh, Obama's policies have to do with getting out of the recession, but he was definitely like, you know, in the pilot seat as we pulled out of it. Didn't hurt, right? I, yeah, apparently I mean, not. Apparently not. Yeah. A president with no scandals. And he was, you know, a constitutional scholar from Yale. Mm -hmm. And now we have some jackass TV host that breaks all the laws, didn't even have, like, didn't even um, submit his tax records and all that. What's the, in your, let's relate these two uh, topics right now. Okay. In your uh, experience <laughs> in Europe, you, especially since you've been all over, um, how do people feel about Trump in, in Europe? And yeah. I bet I bet England's different than the rest of Europe. Um, England's different than the rest of Europe. But like, well, I'm also living in a bubble that the liberal media found itself in in the United States. Like, everybody I knew, everybody I talked to, uh, other than like family and stuff like that, considered Donald Trump a joke candidate. You know, yeah, it was yeah. just like shaving a baboon. And then putting it in a suit and having it run yes. and just have this be like a protest vote against Hillary Clinton. That's what I regarded that as. Um, but it turns out a lot of people didn't think that way. And that just came as a shock to me because I live in my own particular echo chambers here. Yes. And it's yes. the same thing with me here. I'm moving in groups of people who are, to use Trump speak, global elites. Yeah. We move yeah. about the world. I mean, yeah. we're not rich bankers or anything like that. But we do move freely about the world, and we have access to just different layers of society. Digital yeah, nomads. Do. Yeah. 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 Um, so as a result, I didn't have my finger on the pulse of this thing. So I remember I was in Holland when the Brexit vote came in. Uh-huh. And I, I almost got on one of those betting sites and put a bet in yeah. for um, the Remain campaign. Just because I was like, there's absolutely no way these people are going to shoot themselves in the foot that fucking badly. Yeah. Turns out they did. Yeah. Turns out 52% of voters were were ready to just pull the plug on this European thing and start, you know, accelerate the UK's decline of importance around the world. So, cool. All right. Um, and then when that happened, I just remember I was, I was sitting and I was with some friends and we were watching the news all day long and we were just watching just like, oh my God, how can this happen? How can this happen? And then back in my mind... It's making me think, okay, well, Poland's just elected a national right-wing government. Uh -huh. Hungary's had their version of this shit for a couple of few years now. Uh -huh. The UK's moving in that direction. That's going to empower the right-wing in France, who's up for election next year. It looks like that's got, that guy's going to win, right? The, uh, she, but she, yeah. The right-winger. She's yeah. right-wing. Yeah, she's right-wing. Uh, crazy nationalist right-wing. Um, I don't know what her chances are, but they're good. Yeah. Austria's got an election this weekend. And it looks Aren't they like, kind of conservative as far as European standards are concerned anyway? Um, I Austria don't, and Switzerland, right? I, yeah, I don't actually know much about Austrian politics, but I know that the leader in this election right now is their National Front or National Freedom or whatever that party's called. Anyway, Nationalist Right-Wing Party. Um, and then Holland is moving a little bit Nationalist Right-Wing. Like, okay. We'll say there's a third of their voting base who wants to keep Muslims out, wants to blah, 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 blah. You know, just all this stuff. So it gave a voice to a lot of people, and it empowered a lot of people. And so the whole time I'm thinking, fuck, man, this looks exactly like the people who are going to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. they have nationalist right-wing ideologies, and they're going to be a little bit empowered by this. Um, so this is kind of a thing that's sweeping the Western world to some degree at the moment. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I made a post about this earlier, but I thought that the world was going to have their uh, subjective lives somewhat homogenized via the internet. Yeah. And I think that has happened to a certain degree. And with with that homogenization happening, 
you would think that there would be an increase in empathy. You'd think, yeah. Yeah. And also, you can research anything. You can literally get on Wikipedia or, or Google YouTube or whatever and learn about other people. It's supposed to be... Internet, to me, was supposed to be kind of an enlightening thing. As but common that, literacy was 300 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Ex that, that's, yes, exactly. That You hit the nail on the head. So... But the other side of this coin is the echo chambers that everybody keeps talking about. Like, we're, we've regressed. We've regressed. Yeah. Only I, I, enough. Despite all this technology. Yeah. I mean, if you look back at, like, maybe even, like, the 90s, we might have been better in some ways. Except for maybe gay marriage. Okay, we got that recently. But, like, other than that, I don't know. I read something, I think it was Bloomberg that wrote a piece earlier this week about it that referred to this as being a post-literate world where basically you have access to information, you can read that information yeah, and then large groups of people are just deciding to disregard that information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. you have facts, they're presented to you and then you just opt mm, into my own particular worldview right. instead of entertaining truth and reality on its own terms. Right. Yeah, the whole, the whole world that's swinging right right now is, it's scary to me. It really is. I, I, it's we, not swinging right that bothers me. It's the fact that it, it's built on such strange perceptions about how the world works, about uh -huh. the reality of things. Right, right, right. You know, like in the United States, it's been so easy for so long to paint like this boogeyman of Mexicans coming across the border and stealing jobs, etc., yeah, etc., yeah, yeah, yeah. when Mexican immigration to the United States has fallen sharply in the last 15 years. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And but people don't... And even still, it's not like they're stealing jobs. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, if you're, if you're so bad at your job that somebody who doesn't speak English can come in and do it... Right, right, right. right. You know? <laughs> well, the whole landscaping thing, that's the biggest. Isn't that, like... Look, maybe this is a racist statement on my part, but isn't the landscaping thing like the 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 biggest sector that would be affected? I don't know. Landscaping don't know. and construction. I don't know. I mean, I've worked in restaurants and stuff when I've been in the United States, and I know that that particular industry would not survive right. were it not for Latin American uh, immigration northward. But to to play devil's advocate there for a second, do you think that if they were like kind of kicked out or whatever do you think that white people would eventually do those jobs if it got real bad yeah potentially i i, I really have no idea yeah i really I mean, have we no don't, idea we don't know how it's gonna go um i never asked you on the podcast but uh what what do you do so it's content marketing um which mostly means i sit down with my laptop right here and for eight or so hours a day, I'm researching, I'm writing stuff for our clients. We've got, I think at the moment, our agency probably has about eight clients. And we do weekly or bi-weekly stuff for them. We write just long-form blog posts, you know, white papers, just basically any kind of material that's going to be relevant to people who might be buying from them. And just okay. give them information to be in the buying, buying process. And so it's like, like, if you're buying shoes, you don't need to read 2,000 words on shit. That yeah. decision. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you're going to buy some piece of software for your business that employs 100 people, you're going to spend more time making that buying decision. Okay. And so these are the kinds of people we're talking to here. Okay. A lot of software developers then? Not software developers, but um, not necessarily. Some of our clients do sell software is the right, big right, thing. Right. Some of them sell big services, like they'll have big data analytics. And so they charge, you know, $10,000 a month right. to crunch data from a Fortune you know, 500 company or something like that. And so we have to talk to the CMOs of that Fortune 500 company and tell them, you know, why you're going to need somebody to help you crunch your vast lakes of data. Okay. So it's fun. That's fun. Like, you know, if you're a curious person, which I like to think I am, yeah. you've got a lot of itches that you get to scratch here doing this kind of stuff. How did you, I could ask this to myself actually, but how did you end up this way being from Kentucky? Like uh, as far as like, 
uh, it seems like, you know, most people we grew up around. Yeah. Maybe we're, especially politically, we're a little bit different, you know, like, I don't know. Were you always this kind of like, <coughs> well, I like think... kind of like an outsider in a sense or? I think when you come from a place that's got a particularly inward-facing culture, um, you, you've got one of two decisions. You can buy into the inward-facing culture, or you can opt out of it. And I think, I was just watching Dazed and Confused yesterday, and I think that's one of the themes in some of Linklater's films, where, because how many films has he done now about people going to school in Texas? Yeah, yeah. And like everybody wants some, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Boyhood. I, I don't know yeah. if that was Texas, but... I haven't seen Boyhood, but I heard that was awesome. Uh, yeah. I th- for me, it's a movie I can only watch once, but it was fantastic. Mm. Um, so he talks, or he explores the idea that within a particular group of people, you're going to have some people who are going to thrive in that community, and some people who are going to push back against that. Uh, um, and I guess I was one of the people that... Just naturally. Just naturally, yeah. yeah. It's just not in my personality, and it's not in whatever, to go live in a, in a town of 15,000 people in Kentucky right? and then try to build a lifestyle that that, that place accommodates. Right. I'm much, I would be much more comfortable living in like a New York City or something like that or Los Angeles for your, right, right, right. For your case. Um, yeah, yeah, just, I, I guess maybe personality and... Yeah. wants and needs and desires and also being able there's a fortunate aspect that you and I were both fortunate enough to recognize this act upon it and then have the resources to take the steps necessary to go to a school have money to travel go yeah. be able to do yeah. our kind of stuff you know because yeah. if we had had to support parents financially or something like that we'd be stuck back there yeah I'd be doing the same shit yeah, yeah exactly wouldn't have moved yeah we were extremely lucky in that yeah sense. completely i think for me um my particular situation my dad's a doctor so and we, we lived in really rural alabama we're talking a thousand people one street light yep okay there were neighboring towns that had more people but our particular town had a thousand people in one street light yep <laughs> so my dad's a country doctor but makes like we never had planes and shit i don't want to oversell it but you know we we were okay yeah and you did have a helicopter no 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 nothing dude nothing every time i talk about other like (coughs) doctors it's like i always felt like they they made more than what my dad made anyway he uh but it was we were like the only doctor in that particular town so like i think that even from a young like when i was really young my family seemed different than everybody else's family and on that level yeah. Okay. And then on top of that, my interests were, were just different too. Like I, I've never been hunting in my life. Mm-hmm. Whereas that was huge for boys, especially from like a young age in Alabama, like hell, like seven, eight. Never did that. Never watched NASCAR. Never liked sports that much, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, so I just didn't like, I didn't see myself being part of the culture, that type of culture for a long time. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be contrarian. That's just kind of how it happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but that's just how where the cards fell. I do like like Southern cooking, Southern breakfast, especially like shit like that. But uh, I don't know. You just find yourself in another position or whatever. And I, uh, once like, I'm, you probably have the same experience where once you travel once, that's all you need. Yeah. You need you need that first travel to a city and or that first international travel. Yeah. That really like once you do that, you you will you'll want to do it again more than likely and you've uh, broken the seal or whatever. Yeah, completely. And southern culture too is especially interesting because of the um inferiority complex that's been around probably since I don't know, probably since before the Civil War. Where, uh, where, like, you know, Southerners identify themselves as having these very, like, community family values, these very particularly Southern values, and Southern values in many ways meant a refutation of Northern values, uh-huh, where, yeah. you know, Catholics, drinking, um, cities, manufacturing, and then in the South, 
agrarian. Um, uh-huh. Maybe an economy that may or may not have been built upon slave labor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but interesting that that still even factors into the psyche now. Um, so yeah, I notice this all the time in the South. Like when you talk about global elites, when you talk about, I mean, they use the word Yankee derisively to describe somebody. I haven't heard that a whole lot. Well, I, I heard that once or twice in my life, but not a lot. The whole Yankee thing. Yeah. That's said a lot in, in Kentucky? No, no, f- much farther south. But, like, we've got our own boogeyman in Kentucky and that people from Ohio, people from Cincinnati yeah. would come down. We had a lake where we grew up, and they would come down and bring their boats and stuff. Oh, and they were, like, rich uh, uh, city people. And they weren't even rich city people. They were just slightly wealthier people uh-huh. with a different accent. Yeah, And it was just yeah. like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you and your people bringing your values, bringing your alcohol. <laughs> And it just, it, it stokes that little inferiority complex where this goes back to what you were talking about. You said you didn't want to be contrarian growing up in that society, but that society also has a built-in mechanism to make you feel guilty for rejecting its values. And that's yeah. where that comes from. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that can be in any society. It, any, it's in a lot of societies. Like if you, if you reject Catholic values in Italy, yeah. like you're, you know, I actually have a... Uh, Italian co-worker he got a green card he won the green card lottery in America mm-hmm. he uh, he said that he had to like he wasn't excommunicated but he had to submit paperwork to remove himself from the church because apparently they have to uh, <laughs> pay a like church tax no and shit you, you can opt out and he was like look I'm not Catholic anymore I don't believe in any of this stuff so I think it's a it's there's several situations everywhere. I'm just trying to make it not seem like we think that we're the only ones with this scenario happening to us. Oh, no, no. I mean, there are, there are definitely cultures where it's much, much worse for you if yeah. you opt out of their value system. Yeah. Whether yeah. you're in a gang and you get shot. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, whether yeah. you're in rural Ireland and you just yeah. get made fun of endlessly. Right, yeah. right, right. These are like first world white boy problems, but um, still something that was a part of us growing up, I guess. Um yeah, man. Um, do you have any questions for me? Um, God, man, we've just gone on this tangent right now. I know. Um, well, first of all, I, I wanted to hear about Italy. I wanted to hear about your own experiences. Have uh-huh. you already recorded the Italian podcast? No, I haven't. Okay, no. so then I don't want you to blow that load here. No, well, it's okay. I'll, okay. It doesn't matter. Let's do it. Okay, okay. So you went over there with a particular intention, right? So... The main, well, okay, put it simply, the main intention was I wanted to travel again. Okay. And not to Japan, because every time I get a stamp of my, my passport, I don't want to be Japan every time. Okay. You know, so I chose Italy. Kind of don't know why, I just had never been before, and I was interested in the Colosseum and the Vatican. Okay. And I haven't been to China, but I've been to Japan, which is not the heart of Eastern culture, but I've seen a lot of Eastern culture, so I wanted to get back to, like, Western roots and, like, see, like ancient like the heart of you know heart of a western culture you know i historically just interesting to me cool and on top of that i wanted to film a video and it would be the next part of my travel series that i'm trying to make and it was on this uh it'll be out a few, like a month or two from the recording of this podcast but it's uh, about vigamus which is a video game museum in rome can't believe that exists, but it does. Interviewed a guy that worked there. Uh, we talked about all kinds of video game related topics and his love for video games and all that. And uh, the audio from that interview will be a podcast and there will be a travel video that will accompany that at some point. I haven't even gotten back home to edit it yet at, the, at this time, but those are the two main reasons. Awesome, awesome. So big picture thoughts on Italy. Now that you've seen the heart of this particular version of Western culture, um, I was only there for like nine days or so. That's a good sample size. You're yeah. mostly in Rome, right? Yeah, yeah. I was mostly in Rome. It yeah. was only a day in Florence, but basically, uh, some of the stereotypes are true in the sense that they're kind of gruff with each other at times. Yeah. Um, kind of short with each other, but. Uh, I've met a lot of nice people as well. They're, they're 85%, I would say, speak fairly good English. 
I think that th there's something interesting about super old culture. Yeah. Where when we're in, when we're in America, we'll be like, "This building was made in the '50s," oh. and, and and like Europeans would be like, "What are you talking about? Like, you mean 1850s, 1750s? You know?" So, like the first time I went to Japan, I went to Meiji Shrine, uh, which was probably mainly rebuilt since the war, but it was there for a long ass time. I think over a thousand years, and I had this kind of like epiphany, like you know, I'd read about shit that's older than my country but I had been I had finally been to a structure that was older way older than anywhere in America mm -hmm. so that it just it blew my mind and I can relate that to Italy because basically everything there is much older but um, I'm sorry I don't know how if I'm like answering your question exactly no I just kind of wanted to hear like you explore some of those themes some of what you saw and just mm. maybe take this opportunity to unpack that if you hadn't yet uh, I'm only a day out since then, but yeah. uh, it's weird too because now that I've been to a few places, I don't get nothing. Not much really affects me anymore. Yeah. Like if this was my first trip, yeah. I'd probably have a whole lot more to say. But I'm just like, yeah, there. Were, I don't know. Like the food was great. Yeah. Food's really good. Pizza's good. I've heard like of Americans and, and even Japanese people that go over there and they don't like the Italian food in Italy, mm -hmm. and I think that's insane. Like, there are places that are that if you go to a place with an English menu and a bunch of English on the sign, it might not be that good. Yeah. But there's authentic Italian shit that we had that was incredible. Yeah. But uh, of course, the Catholic thing is is huge there. Everybody's Catholic. Uh, we grew up in Protestant either Protestants ourselves or Protestant communities in the South. And, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's basically it. I wasn't like too shocked at much of anything or, yeah. yeah, it was just, I don't know, man, it's Europe. It's just Europe. It's Western culture. Yeah. It's just got a different flavor than what you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing the Coliseum and all that was really great. But I mean, you know, like Johnson was telling me like, you're walking around where fucking Caesar walked around. Mm -hmm. Just to think of that. Mm -hmm. This is where they fed Christians to the lions. You know, Rome is in the fucking Bible. Roman soldiers and shit. Yeah. Like, th this is like some fucking hardcore shit. So to think about, like, things in the historical context, great. Just great. And I asked the guy uh, at Vagama, it was a little bit of a preview here, but I was like, you know, is, is gaming any different in Italy? Or do they make games differently and he was like he was like if they're a triple a title it's kind of the same but if they're when they make a game that's like an indie game they try to focus on the beauty of the game and the storytelling aspect of the game a lot more so and maybe that has an influence from them growing up around great art like there was this one thing and i want to tell the other guys this too but we went to try on the oculus rift the vr headset thing mm -hmm at this museum i asked the italian guy that he gave us three options they only had three options to play one was like you you canoe through a magical universe type of thing and you, you don't control it at all you just look around and you're like ah, amazing there's a platformer like a cutesy platformer and then there was a, a gun robot game and i i asked him which, which one do you think is the best one Knowing, I would, knew that he was going to say the gun robot one, but no, he said, "It do the canoe one because it is the most beautiful." <laughs> you know, like yeah. I was like, "Man, this is not America," but that's <laughs> that was awesome. So it's cool to see like cultural differences, even in nerd culture. Yeah, and I think that I'd like to explore that in my travel series as well. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, Italy's definitely the one place that you go where everybody... I, I, two of the first words that I think um, Italian people learn in English are beautiful and elegant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just every Italian person I've ever talked to, those words have come up in conversation in surprising ways. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe it's... I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Italian culture to really speak to that, but... You can imagine that it's a culture that does reward beauty and elegance, and it seems like its that. various forms. Yeah, I mean, you know, people people try very hard to dress elegantly there. 
That's true, man. The fashion is really on point. I've like, look, I thought I, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, look, not. I think I'm passing in America, but when I'm over there, I feel like such a scrub. Yeah. Like, like went there with my girlfriend, and like you know, she she was like, "There's so many handsome guys here," and I was like. I was like, yeah, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, I feel like almost like kind of demasculated here. Like, this is fucking nuts. Yeah. And like, I didn't see the like, when you watch a movie on Italy, there's always like the segment of like dudes like stalking women, basically, like the catcalling and all that. Yeah. I didn't see that. I'm sure that happens. But I didn't see a whole lot of that when okay. I was there. Uh, I kind of expected more of that, mm -hmm. but, well, A, they, they probably saw that my girlfriend was with me, so they didn't do much, but, uh, I don't know, like, the dudes, like, are dressed to the nines most of the time, and they have, like, like, my girlfriend pointed this out, they have, a lot of them have, like, their eyebrows done. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and not gay, just, that's. Do definitely not gay, but they just have that. Their their look is down. Yeah. And I've heard, I talked to a Japanese person that lives there. My girlfriend knows a Japanese woman that moved there to learn cooking, and she was telling us that like, there's a large percentage of them that don't eat a lot of carbs anymore because they're trying to be healthy and look good. Mm -hmm. So they're just eating minestrone soup all the time. Yeah. So. That was that was kind of interesting. <laughs> that was interesting. I'm I'm definitely glad I went. I was staying at a place called Roma Termini, which is kind of like a central hub, like Grand Central Station. I was like staying right near there, so there was like kind of like a there was a bad area near there. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of when I was in the hotel, I was fine. But as soon as you walk outside, you have to be like on your on your guard. So I kind of got tired of that after a week. Mm-hmm. But it was good. It was good. All right. Cool. Cool. Well, I'm glad it was a good trip then. Yeah. You've been there before, right? I've never been to Rome. Been to Florence. You've been to Florence. Well, Florence yeah. is, I, I think, okay, the sightseeing is better in Rome probably, but Florence is incredible. Yeah. It's it's, it, it's stupid. Like, just the, the wealth and art and architecture that those people have inherited. Yes. You know, you're born in a city like that and you just grow up around that shit. I mean, the, the Duomo, Santa Campanile, or whatever, that... I mean, most people just see the picture of the dome. Mm -hmm. But the that dome is on a building, obviously. And the building is this green and white stone that took 200 years to build. And it's absolutely insane. Because, again, like, if you're in America, you don't you just don't see architecture like that. Yeah. Something that takes 200 years. Yeah. Like... It's it's nuts. I mean, it's a church. Nobody can use it except for church purposes. But it's it blows your mind. Yeah, it blows your mind. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. Um, <laughs> I guess that's that's basically been it, dude. It's been ten years. It's been a full on decade. It yep. feels like we sort of kept in touch over Facebook. Yeah. But um, I'm glad you. I want to say over the air, I'm really thankful that. I mean, A, you let me come over. Uh, the timing was excellent. Uh, you gave me this great Turkish coffee. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, with this guy moving around all the time, it was really lucky that he happened to be a direct train ride away from my from Gatwick Airport in London. So really worked out, and now I'm going to go catch a plane finally back to America. It's been a while, but I think once I get back, I'm going to have a burger. What do you fly? What airline? Norwegian. Oh, so you got to eat before you get on there. That's right. All right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Nah, that's all right. All right, cool. Um, this has been Andrew and... Eric B. From London. Catch you later. And that was Eric B., everybody. Thanks again for listening, and we will check you later.